This is In Conversation from Apple News. I'm David Green, filling in for Shamita Basu. Today, the WNBA is building something. And it's not just a female version of the NBA. It's a really exciting time to be a fan of women's basketball. From college to the pros, women ballers are on fire and fans are taking notice. This is one, and everybody else on the Trojan team, 16 points, what a night. This is incredible. Sabrina Ionescu, the greatest performance we have ever seen in this contest. Asia Wilson looking for some space. The all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. And for the first time in 21 years, the WNBA has a back-to-back champion. This past year, the WNBA had its most watched regular season in more than two decades. Viewership was up 27%, and the league has never been more profitable, generating nearly $200 million in revenue. That's roughly double what it brought in just a few years ago. You know, I I don't know if any of us, when the league started back in 97, thought that we would someday see the attention that women's basketball everywhere is getting, not just the W. That is the voice of Cheryl Swoops, a WNBA legend. She's a three-time WNBA MVP. She's won four national championships and three Olympic gold medals. Cheryl was also the first player signed to the WNBA when the league launched. I can tell you there's such a big difference in where we are today and where we were back in 1997. So I am super proud of the league. I'm, I'm proud of of the players. I'm just proud of everything they're doing on the court, off the court, and just to see the league continue to grow every single day. A new documentary called Shattered Glass takes a look at how current players are building on the foundation Cheryl and her generation laid for women's professional basketball and what players say still needs to be done. Cheryl's story is featured in the film, which is directed by Andrea Busilla. I didn't think we could tell a story about today's WNBA and the success that they're seeing without acknowledging where it came from and acknowledging that that success is not brand new. They were selling out NBA arenas back when Cheryl was playing. In fact, Cheryl was so good that before she even went pro, she got a chance to go up against Michael Jordan. It was 1993. She had just wrapped up a wildly successful college ball career at Texas Tech. And Michael Jordan's people had asked her to come work at his basketball camp in Chicago. I was like so super excited. My coach, Marsha Sharp, was like, hey, Michael's people want you to come work his camp. Seriously. My response to her was, oh, my gosh, like, how much do I have to pay? (laughs) She was like, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. Now, mind you, I'm a small town girl, never really been anywhere. So I got a chance to go work his camp. And it was several of us. We were at the back of the gym waiting on Michael to come in. He had over, gosh, over three, four hundred campers there. So finally, Michael starts walking in the gym and I immediately got so nervous. And out of nowhere, he says, where is Cheryl Swoops? Oh, my. And I I froze. 
And the young lady that was next to me kind of elbowed me like, I think he's talking to you. Yeah. She's like, that's you. I'm like, I know it's me, but why? Like, why is he asking? What do I say? Yeah. So I go out and he actually had watched the final four the year we won it in 1993. And he said to me, watch the final four, love your game, mad respect, right? And I was like, oh, thanks. So then he says, but one-on-one, me and you. My God. I was like, as in like basketball. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, like a yeah, hot like, dog what? eating contest or what are we talking like about? Like a one-on-one conversation. <laughs> yeah, right. Like one-on-one, I don't know. Yeah, we're talking right now, right? Yeah. And so he's like, yeah. I hear, you know, people saying you're the female Michael Jordan, so one on one me and you. And I said, wasn't me. Like, I've never said that. That's what other people have said. He said, yeah. He said, so one on one. So I was like, okay. Like, how am I going to say no? Right? Yeah, you can't say no. So we start playing. It's a game to seven. I get the ball. My first shot was a big old air ball. And so you know the kids let me hear it, uh-huh. right? They're like, air ball. So I was just like, okay, get it together. Right. He gets the ball, shoots, scores, whatever. I get the ball back. My second shot was like a brick. So finally, after this, right, I'm like, okay, listen, you're representing for all the women. Like, get your, you know what, together. So I get the ball back. We start playing. I score. So we're going back and forth. Finally, Michael gets the ball and all of his campers are like, dunk it, dunk it. Right. And my pride, though, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to let you dunk on me. Wow. So he goes in for a dunk. Just out of nowhere, I grab him, right? I pull him out of the air. I'm like, nope, you can't dunk. Uh, He had his favorite North Carolina T-shirt on. I'll remember this story until I die. I got lipstick all on the shirt. (laughs) He ended up giving me the shirt. To this day, I still have it. One of my most prized possessions. Wow. And uh, it was just such a fun time. And and I'll put this out there because everybody had been asking before. Yes, he did win. We only went to seven. I think the score was like seven to four. Have you have you have you watched that shirt? No, I still have that shirt at home with lipstick on it. Not washed. <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> That's amazing. Like I would never wash it. No, I mean who who would? Like never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that would happen. Ever. A few years later, in 1996, the WNBA formed. Cheryl joined the Houston Comets. That first season was scrappy, but it generated a lot of buzz. The NBA got behind it, and the WNBA inked a five-year contract with NBC. Behind the scenes, conditions for the players often didn't feel so pro, but Cheryl said they were just grateful to be playing. We didn't care that we had to share rooms with each other, didn't care that, you know, it was commercial flights. We had back-to-back games. Like, none of that stuff mattered because we were just happy to play. Teams only had a two-week training camp to prepare. Coaches say they had no basic equipment, and sometimes they doubled as general managers. Base salaries for players were $15,000. And Cheryl actually had to miss the first-ever WNBA game because she was giving birth to her son. I remember the very first game when the W started, it was the New York Liberty and the Los Angeles Sparks. I remember lying, literally lying in my hospital bed. I had just given birth and I turned the TV on because I wanted to watch the tip of that game. It was history being made. And for me, it was all about the birth of two things, Mm -hmm. the birth of my son, the birth of the WNBA. And when I watched the tip and it was like, this is really happening because I don't think a lot of us really, like we knew it was going to happen, 
But I don't think a lot of us really understood what that meant or what that was going to look like. What was it like to miss out, though, when things just got started, you know, because you were becoming a mom? It was very important to me to be a part of the inaugural season. So I remember just having a conversation with my doctor saying, you know, is my son okay? Is he healthy? Yes. Check. Am I okay? Am I healthy? Yes. Check. Can I go back to playing? And when he was like, I mean, yeah, you can, but you probably shouldn't. So six weeks, maybe seven, six or seven. After giving birth, you're back on the court. After giving birth to my son, I was back out on the court. That's amazing. Because I really wanted to be a part of the inaugural WNBA season. And even though I didn't really play very much, I never really looked at it as if I was missing out, right? Because I was still there. I was still a part. I was still being the best teammate I could be. And all the while, like, just like being a mom in that moment and and having my son around all these incredible, amazing women was very important to me. In the 28 years since Cheryl first stepped on a professional court, the WNBA has come so far. It's blown away revenue and attendance expectations. It has secured some major television deals. There's more investment in the league than ever before, and the caliber of play has never been higher. In 2020, players and the league reached a collective bargaining agreement that secured better pay and benefits, like fully paid maternity leave, a child care stipend, and mental health services tailored to working moms. And even as players were thrilled to get these benefits, Many say they don't go far enough. Take the league's advertised max salary of $700,000. As sports journalist Lindsey Gibbs explains in the documentary, actually earning that amount is a real long shot. You have to make the all-star game. You have to be all-star MVP. Your team has to make it to the Commissioner's Cup. Win the Commissioner's Cup. Commissioner's Cup MVP. Become MVP of the league. Make it to the finals. Is that all? (laughs) It's pretty much impossible to do all of these things. And even if you did, only one person could possibly do that. So that amount of money would only be available to one single player out of the 144. Part of the reason why male players earn an average of nearly $10 million a year is because of how the NBA shares its revenue with its players. When a reporter for Bloomberg News crunched the numbers, they found NBA players receive about 50% of basketball-related revenue. For the WNBA, the share is closer to 20%. Here's the deal. For the average women's player, the salary is so low that nearly half opt to play abroad in the offseason. This pays good money, but it also comes with a lot of downsides. It's tough because you're in another country where lots of times you don't speak the language, so you have a translate. Like, you're having to adjust to different culture, different lifestyle, different weather, different food. And of course, there's the risk of being in countries that are adversarial to the United States. For example, China and Russia are two major countries that historically recruited WNBA stars and paid them well in the offseason. I can't help but to think about Brittany Griner's situation. Yeah. Right. And so when people say, well, if the women were making more money, she wouldn't have to go play in Russia or anywhere else. There are also, and Dre, feel free to speak up, there are also women who are making really, really, really good money. 
and not just from the W, but from brand deals and sponsorships and endorsements, that even though they're making good money, they still choose to go play overseas. Yeah, to capitalize those, you know, money earning years, right? Yeah. JJ said that. She was like, if I could make 80% of what I make overseas during the offseason back home, I would stay. But I have to stack my money now while I can. Yeah, while you can, because at some point you're not going to be able to do that. Let's be clear, Cheryl and other current and former pro players are not asking that the women make what the men do. What they want is more investment in their product, independent of how they perform compared to the men. Well, I think when you start talking about women's basketball versus men's basketball or just women's sports versus men's sports, I do feel like there's different expectations for female athletes versus male athletes. And for myself personally, I've tried to get away from comparing the two, right? Mm -hmm. But what, what does kind of bother me from someone who's, I've been playing ball since I was seven years old. And even at the young age of seven, I felt the pressure of always wanting to prove people in particular to prove men wrong, right? Like I belong in this space and I'm good enough to be in this space and I can do exactly what you can do or maybe I can do better. I grew up with two older brothers who told me I wasn't good enough, right? Wouldn't let me play. And so as I got older, I've just always felt like it was a responsibility of mine to represent for all women, right? To be able to prove to men that we belong and the expectations that you have of us and the expectations that you put on us shouldn't be any different from the expectations that you have for male athletes. I look at women's college basketball today. Some of the best players that are playing today, to me, are more exciting and more entertaining to watch than a lot of the male basketball players right now. We just saw Caitlin Clark from from Iowa break the NCAA women's yeah. basketball scoring record. It was, incre- it was incredible. I mean, No yeah. doubt, right? You, you got Caitlin, you got Juju Watkins, you have Hannah Hidalgo, who's just a freshman at Notre Dame. Like, I could go on and on and on. But when you see that, a lot of people are saying, yeah, well, she's doing that because she's a girl. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. Like, she's good. It's not about her being a girl, playing against other young girls or or women. Why can't we just give her the credit of being really, really good and really talented at what she does? Can we just say, Cheryl, that I was enraged when people came for you for the take that you had on, you you know, rookies coming into the league? Did you see that, David? No. Tell me what. What what did you say, Cheryl, about rookies coming in? Oh, Cheryl said the most reasonable thing, which was just like, you know, when you're a rookie coming into the league, you can't really expect to dominate immediately. That seems reasonable. First of all, she's speaking from experience, and it's also just a human opinion she's allowed to have. People were so mad. Why? Well, it's not just about Caitlin. You know, I said the same thing about Angel. and Angel Reese, yeah. But also, I mean, history speaks for itself. You can look at... You know, Sabrina coming out of Oregon didn't have the type of rookie season that everybody thought she would. My thing is this, the expectations that media fans put on these young ladies in college and thinking they're going to go to the pro and do exactly what they're doing in college, I think you're doing them a disservice 
because you're putting all this pressure on them. And then when they get to the league and they don't dominate right away. You're like, they're, they're, they failed. Yes. Now it becomes, well, she was a bust or she was a flop or she wasn't that good. Yeah. When you go from being a college student athlete to a pro, everything changes, right? Your schedule changes. No one is there saying, get up, go to class, like all those things. Like it's an adjustment. And then you throw the talent in. Like that's a whole different ball game. Well, Cheryl, I want to I want to kind of have a a step back moment with you. I mean the the WNBA twenty seven percent increase in viewers from twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three. It's pretty good. And women's sports expected for the first time overall to top a billion dollars this year, driven by basketball and by soccer. It feels like this moment when the WNBA is has basically said. This is who we are. We're getting more and more fans. Let's celebrate this. Let's market this well. The teams, the players, their stories, and maybe not be so stuck in some sort of historic battle to be equal or not equal with men. Let's just be who we are, celebrate it, and, and have swagger. Is that what you're we're trying to portray? Yeah, well, I think that it's such a trap to get caught up in the comparison. I wanted to portray these women as ball players pure and simple. Mm. You don't have to say like, oh, they're good for a woman yeah. or mm. they are women's basketball players. No, they're just ball players. They're just hoopers. Just ballers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. part of why we got, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. to do the baller scene. A baller. Let me tell you something about ball players, hoopers, ballers. The women of the W never be fooled by them. They are ballers. They are born with it. They come with it every single night. You should tune in. I actually thought it was important for a respected male athlete to sort of speak directly to the haters, the male haters, you know, that say things like, well, it's just too slow for me, women's games. I think people think the women's game is slower than it is because it's not shot the same way. The media is not covering those games mm. with the same techniques and quality camera operators oh, um, and just money behind it. So when you watch, you know, the WNBA finals this year and it was shot like an NBA game, you're like, oh, man. These women are fast. Crazy. These women are strong. Yeah. And it like, of course, it was more exciting. That's amazing that the camera shots and the number of cameras can totally change the perception of of what's happening. I never thought about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it I I think it's even if you are fighting, you know, like I feel like I am for, for people to watch and get into the WNBA because it's so fabulous. Like I fall into this place of well, it should be equal. Like, you know, WNBA players should be getting the same kinds of benefits and money as NBA players. But then that risks falling into the trap of that the blueprint for women's basketball should be men's basketball. So it's a hard thing. It's like you almost you don't want to compare. But as your film showed, there are things that the players in this league deserve that they're not getting right now. Yeah, well, I think it's a matter of ROI, Mm -hmm. return on investment. I don't think, I don't want anybody to think that any of us, either filmmakers or women of the W or the leadership at the PA, think that women should make the same amount of money as NBA players. Right. The NBA brings in more money, and that is why their salaries are higher. Yes. What I want people to look at is why the NBA brings in so much more money. It's because brands and investors were willing to delay an ROI or not have a sure thing return on their money for a long time. But when people think about investing in women's sports, 
they're too afraid to take the risk. They're not willing to take the risk. And now we're finally seeing that brands are seeing that this is a good investment. And it's why these women are getting paid more. It's why they're getting more brand deals. I mean, thank God that brands are finally getting it. So we're not saying, oh, pay them the same as the men just because equality. Hmm. We're saying invest in them the same way that you're willing to invest in men. And we promise you the product is good enough to give you an ROI. I want to ask, I mean, I think about my own sports fandom. And when I think about the Pittsburgh Steelers and I think about my love of the Pittsburgh Penguins and I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan, there are generations in my family of rooting for teams like that. Like my Pittsburgh fandom is so linked to my mom and like the history of Pittsburgh. And and that's so much part of it. Like this league is young. I mean, this this league hasn't had time to generate generations of fans being passed down from one to the other. And I, I just want to note that, like, we're celebrating a moment of success here in this league that you helped build, Cheryl. And it feels like we need to remember this has just been a small, small part of what's going to hopefully be a very long journey. You know, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I think people tend to forget the NBA, they didn't get successful overnight. No, at the 27-year mark, they weren't, they hadn't, didn't, <laughs> no. had not experienced this much no. growth. Yeah. So it is. It's a very, very young league that is only continuing to grow and, and only continuing to get better. You know, I want people who truly, well, you know what, even if you don't know the game or even if you don't watch, one, you should start watching. Yeah. Um, Because it's good. Like, it's great entertainment. It's great competition. And we even have, you know, I know people like to watch like, well, when Detroit had the bad boys, right? Like a lot of people tune in because they want to see the bad boys. Well, we have bad girls in the league. (laughs) We do. Mm -hmm. But if you don't watch it, you're never going to know that. I'm so excited to see how far the the league has come and absolutely where the league is going because I think it's headed in the right direction. So now players are gearing up for a potential new round of bargaining negotiations with the league. They're asking for pensions for retired players, chartered flights to ensure player safety and promote physical recovery. Also compensation high enough that off-season play abroad isn't necessary. I asked Cheryl what some of this would mean for the players. When I say there is more work to be done, I look at the new CBA and I look at how it's changed and how things have gotten much better. When you look at maternity leave and players who are taking time off because they're having kids and and the whole mental aspect of it, having mental health days and having people there to help you, like we didn't have any of that stuff. So when I say there is still work to be done, those are the types of things that I talk about and things that I think about when I say there's more work to be done. I just think... When, when more people decide that, you know what, we want to be a part of this, when more brands and more sponsors say we want to be a part of, of this because women's basketball is great, then the money will come. I really do believe that. I think it's a lot of the other stuff that these players are talking about that these players need. And, and I think it's just a matter of time before we get there. Cheryl had a great quote in the film, David, yeah. that was, I think it's important to be grateful for what you have. But I also believe in asking for what you want. I remember that. I just don't want people to think that these women are not grateful. They, they, they understand that they get to do their dream every day for a living. They, they get it. But it's okay to ask for more as well. And they're willing to work for that. 
Yeah, because it's not like we're not asking anyone to just give us something. Right. You know, like we absolutely want to work for it. And I just want to end with this. Yeah. It's basketball. Like I started playing ball when I was seven. I'm going to say this without getting emotional. You can you can take all the time you need. Basketball has and it continues to change my life like every single day. So when, when I say grateful for what we have every day when I wake up, I am grateful for all the opportunities that basketball has afforded me, you know, to travel the world, to meet amazing people, to build lifelong friendships and relationships because of basketball. And I say it like that because it's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be stressful. You know, we're not trying to save someone's life. That's what's stressful, right? But at the same time, just because we're grateful and and we're happy that we're in this space and we have this opportunity, it doesn't mean that we don't deserve more. And we also know that we're willing to work for more. And and that's from every single player that is currently playing, every player that has played, and every player that, that will play. I think it's important that we not lose sight of what we're trying to do or what we're trying to achieve. And the story that Dre tells in, in the film of NECA and Stewie and JJ, I hope everyone will tune in and watch because each one of them, they all have their own individual stories. And they're all three incredible women who happen to be a part of 144 Amazing Women. Cheryl, what an honor talking to you. I really appreciate it. Dre, absolute pleasure and and wonderful film. And uh, really, really, really appreciate meeting you both. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having us. The documentary Shattered Glass is streaming now on Tubi, and we will link to it in our show notes. Hey, I want to thank you all for listening to these last few episodes. It has been a real pleasure and honor filling in for Shamita this past month. There is nothing better than the power of conversation, and this show showcases that time and time again. Hope to be back here sometime soon. Up next in the host seat is Brian Stelter. He's the former chief media correspondent for CNN. And for his first episode, Brian is talking with Susan Glasser, Evan Osnos, and Jane Mayer, staff writers at The New Yorker and co-hosts of the Political Scene podcast. This trio is answering the questions that everyone has right now about the 2024 presidential election. If not Trump, who could the Republican nominee be? Is there any world where there's going to be a contested convention or some other X factor happens on the Republican side? No. Really? You know, really? Well, we've all learned never (laughs) say never, but no. Hope you enjoy that next episode, and I really appreciate you listening.